We have a saying internally that we use that says revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, cash is king. If you're driving profit and cash, you will be driving value. Welcome to Mastering Your Exit Strategy. I'm your host, Christine Trumbull, a certified exit planning advisor, CPA, and certified tax strategist. I've spent the last 30 years working with owners to grow and scale their businesses, and then went on to help my own husband grow his. After his passing, I moved to the next chapter, ensuring seamless transitions for family-owned and closely held businesses. Each week, we are talking to experts about growth and transition, so you can not only simplify exiting your business, but also get as much wealth out of your business as possible. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. and thanks for joining me again today. This is Christine Trumbull with Mastering Your Exit Strategy. Today, I'm speaking with Joss Milner, who is the CEO of Cashflow Story. Joss co-founded the company in 2013. uh, Cashflow Story now has users in over 95 countries around the world. And I have to say, before I ask you a single question and welcome you to the show, your platform, your software has been one of my favorite tools in, in, in the entire, probably two decades that I've been doing this work. So thank you for joining me today. Right. Well, thank you. And uh, great to be here. And well, that's fantastic to hear. We just, we love what we do. We love our software. We love everything around it. So we always so happy when we find people who also love it. It's well, I'm a little bit of a geek. So, <laughs> so, and I like playing with numbers. So it, it's, it just really makes it, it, it has always enabled me to, um, you know, get the light bulbs going off in when I, when I can, you know, get in front of uh, owners, business owners, and and really help them start seeing what those small percentages can, can make. But before we go there, why don't you, you know, why don't you tell me how cash flow story came about? Okay. Um, so it started quite a while back. It's actually started in the late nineties. Uh, I teamed up with, uh, Alan Miltz. We both, uh, both chartered accountants. Neither of us ever worked in accounting beyond just getting our articles and the, the qualification piece, both landed up in business. And we teamed up and we saw a gap in the market to develop software that analyzed businesses from a bank's performance perspective. Okay. Banks did static uh, type analysis. So they had products from Moody's and Standard & Poor's and companies like that, Mm -hmm. that did static, really good analysis of business. But we saw that businesses are changing. What ifs are happening and there was no software really that did that. So we found a developer and we developed a product, which we, we actually had as much struggle coming up with the name as we did with the product. We couldn't come up with a good name. Eventually, we landed up calling it Optimist of all things. <laughs> and I think mostly to irritate our third partner who hated the name. Um, and we took that product to the banking world and we spent 10 years um, going across Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, America, Canada, uh, Africa, et cetera. And we learned a lot about how businesses look at banks as well. We also saw that that product could have usage amongst the advisory market. 
So we got um, organizations such as CCH and Myob in, here in Australia to distribute that largely to accounting firms who loved the product and never used it. <laughs> and no matter how many times we trained them, they never used it. And we kind of knew why. And the reason was it was too complicated for your average business, for your average client of your average accountant. Okay. So we sold that business in 2009 and did a few other things. And then around 2012, we, Alan and I started talking about the lost opportunity, about the fact that all these accounting firms globally had bought this product, loved it so much, but didn't use it. And right. we felt it just wasn't fit for purpose. What banks look at is just a little bit too complicated. So what we thought is, let's see if we can come up with, take everything we learned from that 10 years, what we learned from banks, because banks really understand cash flow probably better than any other industry as such. Okay. And so we teamed up with a, a developer here in Melbourne that I knew, Tim Lockett, and Tim, Alan, and myself came up with Cashflow Story. And our idea behind the product was to come up with something that helped understand the story of a business that a business could relate to. Mm -hmm. So what we said is most sort of businesses that are growing and scaling up will often have a, um, a financial person. That person reports on numbers, provides information, but very actually very little knowledge. And then, of course, you get all the companies that are growing quite fast. They haven't put on a, a financial person. They sometimes will have a bookkeeper. And there's, there was just no basic understanding of what's happening in the business. Mm -hmm. That was half of what we tried to do. And the second half was to say, well, it's, are you, is a business really interested in understanding their story? Actually, no. What they're really interested in is in driving improvement. Right. Because those businesses want to get better. They want to make more money. Mm -hmm. and what do we mean by make more money? We mean make more profit, mm -hmm. make more cash flow, mm -hmm. and more importantly, or equally as importantly, drive value improvement so that they are on a journey towards increasing the value. So we have a saying internally that we use that says revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, cash is king. Right. If you're driving profit and cash, you will be driving value. So that was our philosophy to come up with something. And really, we, we looked at that product and said, we actually have the market of the advisors, but also the businesses themselves. Mm -hmm. And that started in 2013. And now, um, as you said, in the intro, we're in 95 countries around the world, from Panama to Egypt to obviously Australia, Canada, UK, US, um, right through to some pretty exotic places. That's excellent. So can you give the audience a kind of an overview of what this software is? Yep. So it's a genuine web-based product, so available anywhere in the world on any browser, um, tablets, et cetera. And basically, we input a selected number of key numbers from the accounts. So typically, we say to users, there's two things you should be doing. Firstly, you should look at your last two to three years of, of your business. So you're putting in 
very high level, simple numbers that you'll find in your accounts, such as revenue, gross margin, profit, in your balance sheet, your receivables, your inventory. Uh, you, so very, very high level, 14, 15 numbers from the accounts. Yeah, it's very then, quick entry. And then basically there's the story of the business and then there's the driving improvement. But the key to everything, the heart of the product, the patty and the burger, so to speak, is the power of one. The power of one is the code of the business. So understanding what drives this business in terms of profit, cash, and value. Mm -hmm. So if we think about every single business in the world, there are only four things that they can do to improve their profit. Only four. Mm -hmm. They can sell more. They can put their prices up. Mm -hmm. They can cut their costs, which are divided into overheads and cost of goods. Right. And if you're in the service industry, direct costs. Those are the only four things you can do. Right. What impact do changes in those four levers have on your profit? Now, if you want to improve your cash flow, you can do those four things plus three others. You can collect faster, you can pay slower, and you can reduce your inventory, or if you're in the service industry, bill quicker. So right. there are seven levers of cash mm -hmm. and four levers of profit. Okay. So what the power of one shows us is the impact that those one percents have or one days have on your profit and your cash flow. So understanding what a one percent sale more sales does compared to one percent more price. In other words, what's that relationship? Mm -hmm. So we've seen businesses often where a one percent volume increase is one tenth of the impact that a 1% price increase has. Right. So you think about a business working so hard to sell more, but they can get 10 times the benefit by putting their price up 1%. Exactly. When you think about price increases, you think about 10% and what will happen and will we lose sales? Mm -hmm. But what about 1%? You know, is a business rounding everything down? We see mm -hmm. so many businesses round things down to nice round numbers. Now, if you're selling to people on the internet, to consumers, price break points, 99 cents, those things are important. When you're selling business to business, does it really matter? Right. Yeah. Does the accounts, do the accounts payable people at the other side get irritated when they have to pay something <laughs> with cents? No. No. So Power One is a disruptor. It gets the business challenged about what truly drives their business right i've yet to see a business in eight years where volume is the number one driver really it's always going to be around price yeah cost yeah. of goods it's those are almost always the drivers okay yeah that makes sense I'm sitting here doing some math in my head. <laughs> the other thing that the, the power of one tells us is how sensitive is the business to change? Mm, yes. So you look at a business that 1% price increase is worth $8,000 and 1% volume increase is worth $3,000. And they're, they're a $10 million business. So mm. you look at that and you go, you guys have got a lot of work to do. Right. Then we see businesses that are um, half a million dollar businesses and a 1% price increase is worth 100000 Now, 
if you're looking to drive improvement, fantastic. You're going to get amazing bang for bucks. Right. But on the other hand, it also is higher risk mm-hmm. because a small negative change can have a huge impact. Yes. So the idea behind the Power of One is to get the management team involved and get the input from everyone mm-hmm. around how we can drive improvement in those seven levers. Right. So once we've done the power of one, mm-hmm. we see the impact of the changes that we think we can make mm-hmm. on our profit and our cash. Mm-hmm. And then we take that through to the valuation piece. And we look at saying, what is the business worth today? Mm-hmm. We learned this from the banks. It's actually fantastic. How much is the business worth? Do we have any debt that we have to pay off? Mm-hmm. Because if you sell your business, you don't pay your debt. Right. You, you don't sell your debt, you <laughs> pay right, it down. Right. And then we see what's the gap between what we want our business to be worth and what it's worth today. Now, that's okay because we're not selling next week. But right. what we want to see is how big is the gap and how are we going to close the gap? So right. what the software shows us is the impact on the value of the business from the changes we made in the power of one. So what does a 1% price increase, for example, do to the value of the business? Right. That's excellent. And then we do, we look at what we call the four chapters, which is the story of the business in a structured way. So what we do is when we look at a business, traditionally, a lot of businesses look at their sales, they look at their profit. Mm-hmm. So what right. we're looking at is effectively chapter one of a book. So if you're reading a whodunit book, you can read chapter one a thousand times. You still won't know who did it. You have to read the whole book. So the story of the business is not just about profit. It's about your balance sheet. Right. There's a perception out there that balance sheets are really complicated, that your average person says, I don't understand them. Mm-hmm. However, we have a view that says, actually, if you understand a balance sheet, it's actually simpler than a profit and loss mm-hmm. because it's just an equation. Right. Seven plus eight equals nine plus six. That's it. It's just badly set out. Yeah. So, what, <laughs> so what the four chapters does is then says chapter two is the important things in the balance sheet, receivables, inventory, payables. Mm-hmm. that's what we can manage. We can drive down our, our collections by collecting faster. Mm-hmm. We can pay slower. Mm-hmm. So that's chapter two. Chapter three is the rest of the balance sheet, our fixed assets, which can be important, and the noise, mm-hmm. all those sundry things that are sitting in our balance sheet that we can't really do anything about. Right. And then chapter four is funding. How did we fund this business? Did chapter one profit? Chapter two, our receivables, inventory, and payables. Mm-hmm. And chapter three, the rest of the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Did that generate funding or need funding? Right. And what funding? Debt or the owners putting money in? Right. So that's basically the structured approach to reading the whole book. Okay. Coupled with the driving of improvement. So what we want to do is say something's broken, then go back to the power of one and say, right, what are we going to do to fix it? Mm-hmm. I love the way you're you've been able to take what is perceptually and can be a very complicated 
understanding and process and truly turned it into something that is manageable, understanding. It's told, and it is, it's told just like a story. And, and it's put in a way that is, um, can be so that a, 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 just a basic uh, business owner with, with not a lot of business experience can really wrap their head around it and actually make very complex decisions with a, vi- but, but, but in a, in a, and I hate this term, but in a very simplistic way, but that's exactly what you've done. I mean, you've just. Yeah, that's our whole thing. I mean, Adam and I are both accountants. We sometimes say to each other, stop being an accountant. <laughs> and we have another thing is when we come up with something we want to put in the software, we explain it to Tim, who's our CTO and, de- and lead developer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we say, Tim, we want to put this in. And he says, explain it to me. Mm-hmm. So we explain it to him. He says, okay, which one of you, Alan, is going to sit inside the product and explain it to every one of our users? Because <laughs> it only makes sense when you explain it. Right. Go back. That's, so yeah. we go back and we say, okay, let's see if we can come up with another way of explaining it. Right. And then, and eventually says, okay, now it kind of stands on its own. Mm-hmm. So we have that, that process of trying to make, try very hard to talk to non-financial people. Right. And, and you've nailed it. I mean, you really have. You've, you've done a fantastic job with it. So you have users. You, you mentioned earlier that you have users in, well, I mentioned whatever. We talked about how you have uh, people in over 95 countries uh, using this, this product. Um, so you, you, you probably have a pretty good understanding of how businesses are dealing with the challenges of, of right now. And this is a great, I was actually having this conversation um, a couple of hours ago with somebody else. I mean, what we've experienced over the last three years is just radical in regards. We've never seen it in our lifetime. And I don't know if we've had quite the same process ever, but so um, how are successful business businesses meeting the challenges of, of today? What are they doing? Okay. Well, we see, and it's pretty much globally, three big challenges facing businesses today. Number one, inflation. Mm-hmm. Number two, um, supply chain. Mm-hmm. And number three, getting retaining staff. Okay. So they connected issues. Supply chain in part is because of staff. Yeah. Right. So here in Australia, for example, you walk down any street where there's shops and almost every shop has got a sign saying staff wanted. Yes. Yeah, we've got the same problem here. We've, we've had the, you'd never have thought coming out of a pandemic that we would have, we've got the lowest unemployment since the 70s. <laughs> it's just crazy. So yeah. what we're seeing is businesses basically hit by the the challenge of we can't get product mm-hmm. because the suppliers sometimes don't have staff or can't get products. So it's a vicious circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we, we see, for example, and I've done Power of Ones with probably 20 businesses in the last six months where they're saying, well, our cost of goods is going up. And my question to them is, what are you doing about it? 
And I just usually just get a blank look back. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. We go into the power of one and we say, right, if cost of goods is going up by 2%, bad. Mm-hmm. That's what it's going to cost us. We are $475,000 down in profit mm-hmm. and $395,000 down in cash flow. What are we going right. to do about it? Right. Right. Are you putting your prices up? Oh, I don't know our market. But don't you think your suppliers said the same thing? Don't you think your competitors have the same challenges? If mm-hmm. you put your prices up by that, pass on that 2%, mm-hmm. you're, probably what's going to happen is your competitors are going to match you because they would have been hit by that same 2% increase. Right. If you pass it on, you're going to be ahead because you've marked up your goods. Right. So there's that. There's not a lot we can do about people. Yeah. (laughs) I wish there was. (laughs) Yeah. They're not there. They're not there. Um, You know, and then that gets into, you know, are we, uh, do we have good people's management? Do, are we, you know, are we looking after our people? Are Mm -hmm. we an employer? excuse me, are we the type of employer that is, that people want to work at and all of those things? Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is around costs going up and what they're doing about it. And secondly, we've seen businesses needing to carry more inventory because they're worried about running out. So right. that means carrying more inventory has got a cost to it. Mm-hmm. You've got to pay for it. So what are we doing to counter that cost. So going into our power of one and saying, well, if inventory goes up two weeks, half a million dollars, what mitigating strategies to at least cover that? Because we don't really want to, if we want to try and avoid going to the bank and saying, hey, we need to carry half a million more. Can we borrow the money? Right. Now, maybe we have to, but maybe we can collect faster to counter some of that. Maybe we put our prices up. Mm-hmm. And so they're just... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So that's what we're seeing. The remarkable thing is over the period of the, the I guess, the two years of the pandemic, the, the first two years, we were amazed. We expected to see carnage in businesses. <laughs> and we were amazed how many businesses just pivoted slightly mm-hmm. and how many businesses actually did pretty well. Right. I mean, obviously, some businesses, like you wouldn't want to be a travel agent two years ago, right? But, but there were so many businesses we saw who actually improved. And in part, it's because they started looking at their business as opposed to just chasing revenue. Right. So it, the pandemic yeah. actually forced businesses to, to look at themselves more and see how they can do more with less and often a little pivot. Mm-hmm. And so many businesses we've seen have come out two years way ahead. Right. It's amazing how it, and and again, the software really does bring that home. Those very small, you know, well, let me back up for a minute. You know, business owners, unfortunately, always get in their head in order to make an impact on their business or to turn a business around or any of these things. It has to be this massive, giant, you know, endeavor. You know, we've got to raise our prices and raise volume and cut costs and do all of these things and do it all at once. And I love that the way that the power of one and cash flow story really, really drives home the point. No, you don't have to do all of these, you know, Mm -hmm. radical shifts and they, the shifts don't have to be big. They just that little tiny 
you know, one, one or 2% change can have that radical shift that you need. And, and then again, going back to the comparison that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. It's where, you know, you, you don't want to necessarily raise price and volume, which one is going to have the bigger impact for you. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about thinking back on the ones that I've done, you're right. It's almost, it's always price over volume. So yeah. that's a small 1% change. Nobody's going to notice that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I could give you 20 examples of businesses that, you know, business that imports um, high, relatively high level electronic equipment. Mm-hmm. Their pricing model was landed cost double mm-hmm. and then round it down. Okay. Oh. So they land something at $4,200, mm-hmm. mark it up to $8,400, and then sell it for eight. So I said, why? <laughs> why wouldn't you round it up no to answer. 85? <laughs> so then, then what happens, of course, is they go to the, the, the they go to um, give a quote for four of them, mm-hmm. and now it's 32000 Yeah. Customer says, can you sharpen your pencil? They say, okay, we'll make it 30000 So then... <laughs> we talked through that process. I said, okay, so if instead of marking it to 8,000 round, mm-hmm. what if you've made it? He says, he interrupted me. He says, I get it. 8,400. I said, no, you still haven't got it. 8,000, $8,429. Okay. He said, I said, then when you quote it up by four, right. then when your customer says, can you, can you um, sharpen your pencil? But he said, yeah, then we do 32,000. We've actually made 2,000 more. I said, no, 32,614. <laughs> That's another half a percent or whatever. Right. It's there. Right. You know, right. You're quoting on a job. You quote 34,000. You're not going to lose the job if you quote 34,216. Right. Yeah. So I didn't earlier. I was talking about doing the annual review. Mm-hmm. Then what I what should happen is the business should also look at their power of one every quarter. Mm-hmm. So four times a year they should look at their quarterly numbers mm-hmm. and do a power of one. And okay. it should always be the management team right. getting input from non financial people. I'll give you an, another really interesting example. Um, U.S. based software company. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically they earn a clip on transactions that they do on behalf of their clients. So they earn a tiny little clip on a lot of low volume transactions. Great business, but it takes sometimes eighteen months from the start of the project to going live. So okay. it's very complicated getting set up. So they charge for that. So we're having a power one, and the business quite a big business in terms of um, turnover, but very not that many staff and mm-hmm. no no financial person, a very, uh, what would you call, a bookkeeper. That's okay. it. No financial okay. skills. A switched on CEO. So we do the power one and they've, they've got unbilled work. And someone says, I don't understand why we bill, let's call it D, at that moment. Mm-hmm. So someone else says, it's not even his area. So someone else says, we can't do D until we've done C. 
So we do see, then deed, then we build. The contract says, that's what the contract says. He says, yeah, I know that. He says, but why do we do C after B? Okay. Nobody answers. He says, A and B go off to on a sequence of F and G. Okay. C is the starting point of a new process. He says, we do C after B, but there's absolutely no reason. It's It's different teams and it's different processes. Wow. He says, why don't we start C at the same time we start A? Right. That brought $400,000 of billings into the business. Right. And the business was carrying quite a bit of debt because they had a equity, a buyout and all of that. Mm-hmm. And to take $400,000 off your debt is pretty significant. Absolutely. And, and it came from people that were not involved. It was just people that saw something that didn't make sense. Right. And they would never have said it if they didn't have that trigger of the power of one telling them right that every reduction of a bill whip earlier is worth x dollars mm-hmm. and then the ceo said when last did we put up our price of the clip <laughs> somebody says four years ago he goes right so they put the price up from like 0.004 to 0.005 which as a percentage is actually quite a big increase mm-hmm. it is it but is when you tell your customer that you're putting up your price from a fourth of a cent to a fifth of a cent i mean they don't, to, yeah. they don't blink they're I mean, like why are you even telling me point four to point five <laughs> right. it's, it sounds like nothing right yeah. but it does that it would, can make such yeah. a huge that impact would bring in about 80 dollars on average per customer of the customer okay and those customers have hundreds of customers okay Right. But, but again, they wouldn't have done it if they never thought about it. Right. That's fantastic. I love that. I love that story. Well, this has been amazing. And I love, I mean, I, I, I could sit here and geek out with you on, on 1% in cash flows and <laughs> stories like that all day. Not sure of the audience will, but um, I will include the links to cash flow story and your website uh, in the episode notes uh, as, as always on all of my episodes. Joe, thank you so much for spending time with me. I, I really do truly appreciate it. Thanks, Christine. Great the opportunity. As I said, we as I said earlier, we love what we do. We're very passionate about it and we love the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, thank you. It, it was it's great. And I, I always love having the conversation. So as always, thank you for joining me today. And I hope you, the audience, have found value in this episode. This is Christine Trumbull with Mastering Your Exit Strategy. Until next week. Bye.